Talk Live, and you can take control of the airwaves by dialing in toll-free at 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. Joining you tonight, it's Ian with you. And Nick. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All the features are totally free, so enjoy those on us. Those other talk show hosts in the industry want to charge you for their sites. Give ours away, freetalklive.com. Continuing a week of live shows. We're here all week long, including Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. And uh, thanks to Nick for coming in here tonight as Mark. Well, you're normally here Tuesday nights, but thanks anyway for coming in because Mark is not here. So it's just you and I tonight. It should be fun. You and I and whoever calls in because uh, we will take your calls about whatever's on your mind. You can dial in toll free at 800-259-9231. We're going to start things out here. We'll go unscreened to the amp line. You're on Free Talk Live with Ian and Nick. Hey, it's Ken in New Hampshire. Ken, what's on your mind tonight? To uh, kind of... Uh, Reference what uh, Mike from Keene, you know, when he called the port 411 earlier uh, regarding the um, the sneaky Democrats and trying to uh, ban uh, open carrying and concealed carrying at the state house. Um, you know, apparently tomorrow we're going to be uh, showing up around 2:30 p.m. at the uh, state house to kind of uh, you know cause some waves, I guess, so to speak. And so wait, 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 slow down a second here, Ken. Let me just make sure I can uh, relay what happened. I don't know if many people can relate to this because how many state houses around the country actually allow people to carry weapons openly? I mean, how how often does that happen? I mean, maybe Montana, yeah, Wyoming or something like that. Maybe. But it can't be very many. It can't be more than five out of the, the 50 states. I mean, I'm completely speculating here, but just doesn't feel like something that would be allowed anywhere else. And now the bureaucrats and the politicians in the New Hampshire State House have decided to add themselves to the list of places where uh, weapons are prohibited. And it's not just guns. It's all deadly weapons. So I guess, uh, Ken, you're a pretty big guy. I- I've met you in person. You-, you look like you could be deadly with your fists if you wanted to. Like, Are you going to be allowed into the, the State House at this point? Well, I mean, I would imagine I will. I mean, I'm not going to be going, to, you know, doing anything threatening by any means. I'm, I mean, I'm a peaceful, uh, peaceful person as it is. I just want to kind of sh- show up, and hopefully, I can actually go to my, you know, state senator's uh, office and tell her that because she's one of the ones who kind of helped this thing pass in this, you know, behind the scenes secret uh, room where they pretty much passed an eight to three along party lines. So I just wanted to show, tell her my displeasure for one and two. I wanted to make a clearing call to all, you know, uh, Free Talk Live listeners been around New Hampshire that, uh, you know, we need to really kind of, you know, make our word known on this because it would uh, be a weakening of, uh, you know, the FSP recruiting process, in my opinion, if we were to, you know, lose this option. Because, as you said, not many people are allowed to carry in a state house across the country. And quite frankly, I'm, a, I'm a, uh, under the assumption that only you can do that in New Hampshire. But, uh, I don't know. If that, I don't know if that's the case, but I'm sure our other listeners out there across the country, if, they're, if they want to chime in on this, they're certainly welcome to. But I think one of the more interesting aspects to this is the controversy that is already bubbled up over it. I mean, beyond the obvious outrage that uh, liberty-minded people have that they are now being prohibited from carrying weapons, either openly or concealed, into the state house and Nick, you'd ask the question before we went because I mentioned this to you uh, off the air. You'd ask the question: Are they going to start installing metal detectors? Well, I mean, door? it would seem I mean, they don't have much in the way of enforcement if they're not going to be checking people for weapons. Right. So uh, either they're going to have to, if they're going to actually try to enforce this, as far as concealed carry goes, they're either going to have to pat you down when you enter the state house, or they're going to have to have metal detectors or something to that effect there. 
Well, and, and now what has happened is uh, there has been a call for some civil disobedience as a result of this. And I'm just wondering, you know, the both of you, on the, I mean, um, Ken on the phone and, and Nick here in the studio, you're both more of the, the politics mindset. And I'm, I'm curious as to what your response is to the call for civil disobedience in this particular well, case. Civil disobedience with guns is risky would be my only concern. I'm not so much worried risky. about it. It's risky. In what, in what way? Are you going to walk into the state house with a pistol on your hip and then refuse to disarm when you're told to disarm? Well, I don't understand why that would be risky. I mean, you're being because civil about it. It's not like you're brandishing it and, and threatening might, people. Just because if you're doing it correctly and if you are being civil, that doesn't mean that the sergeant of the guard at the state house is not going to perhaps draw their weapon and tell you to oh take the pistol. I would not be surprised if they're giving you an order to take the weapon off or to leave the state house. It it seems risky to me. Ken, what do you think about that? Well, from what I've, I mean, I've been up there in the past and, you know, open carried, you know, uh, just, for, you know, for for giggles. And uh, I've talked to some of the state police officers at the front door that, are, you know, do security. And I, I end up getting a half hour, you know, long discussion with them about the Second Amendment. And, you know, they love the free staters in that respect and the whole, you know, the whole thing. Um, as far as civil disobedience is concerned, um, for me, if it did turn out to a situation where they did, you know, it's truly a law and they have to, and you have to disarm, you know, I'd really have to think long and hard because, um, you know, I have some licenses on the line with the state that I can't really afford to have revoked or suspended if uh, that were to happen. But um, I don't know. I think it's safety, in, you know, in numbers, you know, and, um, you know, I, well, I, yeah, if you uh, had a group you know, of 10 people go in there all armed up, whether they're carrying a gun or a knife or something like that, uh, do, do you feel like they would treat – would oh, they draw be, down on the entire be, group? That could be perceived as threatening, though. Well, of course well, it could be perceived as, as threatening, um, but it, would it have been perceived as threatening before that? I mean, it went before this new rule was passed. I guess my, my question actually has to do with some of the response that certain people um, have come out with, and that is the, the suggestion, as is so frequently heard from the political side of things, that any kind of disobedience in this particular fashion will be poisoning the well, that it will uh, make it that much more difficult to uh, to undo this particular change any comments uh, on my yeah not in my opinion basically you know you gotta like, like a criminals don't open carry as it is and b you know i mean most criminals don't bother wasting their time going in and out of the state house for one so it's just another little nanny status thing that they need to do and, and quite frankly it could have you know resulted from some of the you know animosity over the hcr6 you know uh Tenth amendment rally where you know got potentially a little out of control but in the end you can't you can't you know you can't regulate someone's right you know and second amendment is what it is and that's the end of the story for me so that's why i'm showing up very good ken i appreciate the heads up on this and any other thoughts for us tonight no that's it thanks a lot thanks for the call appreciate it 800-259-9231 one of the gentlemen that calls this show from the new hampshire liberty alliance uh, dennis has gotten pretty vitriolic over the suggestion that uh, that there be some civil disobedience going on here, saying things like "freak staters go home" and getting very very angry and upset over the idea. And I know for a well, fact that some people are going up there tomorrow for a for a protest, and there's a good chance that some of them are going to walk into that building uh, with a gun on their hip. I I would agree. I mean, I would agree with Dennis on that. Some of the civil disobedience that's taken place. I, I know it's not just with this issue. I know that. Uh, Dennis has taken issue with some of the other activism that's taken place today. And I would agree that some of it, I think, is counterproductive 
at best. I don't know, as far as this protest goes, I can certainly understand why somebody would do it, um, and I wouldn't necessarily hold it against them. It is. It does concern me, though, that there's a potential, not number one, because it is somewhat risky when you have people with guns arguing with other people with guns, mm. and also because of the way you don't really have control over the way it's going to be reported. So if the Concord Monitor or some of the local papers here in New Hampshire, the Union Leader is one of the big ones, if a reporter from one of those papers decides to pick it up and make it uh, make it sound as though it was some kind of a threatening thing, um, or just make make the person doing the protest out to be less than civil, I think that could have negative repercussions. Well, I'm, some of the claims have been that the reason why this particular uh, this particular regulation or whatever this rule for the state house has come about is because earlier this year there was a protest for a, a bill that was to I, I guess kind of tell the federal government to go f off or something like that and, it, and the bill it didn't was pass. essentially a, it, it was a conditional secession bill uh, if yeah. if if the federal government passed laws that did certain things passed certain lines in the sand then New Hampshire would essentially be severed from its commitment to the U.S. Constitution. But that bill didn't pass, and at that time, there were some very, very boisterous, angry, loud, rude, very rude people that had come into the state house and were carrying weapons openly. And so the excuse was, well, because those people were rude, that therefore we now are going to restrict weapons. Well, Dennis had predicted that to me. Dennis Goddard had predicted that because of the way people conducted themselves, and I would say it But was nobody knew who those guys were. That's just the thing. I mean, maybe they were just angry New Hampshireites. Maybe they were agents provocateurs. They were angry guys with guns yelling, and yeah. I think that created a negative impression. What, what do you do about that, though? I mean, it's a public event. You can't control who shows up. 800-259-9231. Bring up anything. Free Talk Live. This Your Family Today tip is brought to you by Libby's 100% Pure Pumpkin. Learn how to give everyday recipes a nutritional boost with the power of pumpkin at VeryBestBaking.com. When choosing fruits and vegetables, orange or yellow are your best bets. Vegetables like butternut squash, pumpkin, or yellow peppers are rich in nutrients that are linked with lower risks of certain cancers and heart disease. On the fruit side, cantaloupe, bananas, and oranges offer the same benefits, plus one more. Kids love them. For more tips like these, visit us at Parenthood.com slash YourFamilyToday. This is Free Talk Live, and you can bring up what you want if you dial in toll-free at 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line, 1-800-259-9231. And tonight, it's Ian with you. And Nick. You can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All the features are completely free, so enjoy those on us. Again, that's freetalklive.com. Features including our chat room. It's open all the time. Best time to find people, of course, is during the show. Over at chat.freetalklive.com. That is chat.freetalklive.com. And what if you found out that the best liberty activists from around the world were moving to the same place in order to achieve liberty in their lifetimes? Would you want to join them? Well, it's happening, and you can be a part of it. Join the Free State Project at freestateproject.org. That's freestateproject.org. But uh, let me give you a word of warning. Uh, The idea that liberty-oriented people are all moving to the same place doesn't mean that they're all exactly the same. They have different ideas as to how to accomplish the goal of achieving liberty in our lifetime. Some of them believe in working only within the system and exclusively within the system and doing it in a very uh, deferential and obedient manner. And there are others that are full-on civil disobedience activists that could give a flip about the system. In between there, there are people that mix and match and will, uh, will engage in whatever it is that feels uh, feels right to them. 
And what we've, what I've observed over the past couple of years in the uh, responses of certain people who consider themselves activists here in New Hampshire to some of the civil disobedience that has gone on is that the political uh, side, uh, the, the politicos have been, some of them have been very, very upset at the idea that some people are, are committing civil disobedience, saying things like it's well, poisoning in the that's, well. That's certainly the case, although I will point out that there are a lot of people on the strictly civil disobedience side of things who will criticize people being involved in any kind of political process whatsoever. They may, and they are just as loud about it. They, they may criticize it, uh, but f- from what I can tell, they don't claim that the politicos are poisoning the well. They, they're not claiming that the politicos are ruining it for the rest of them well, or anything like that. They're not vitriolic toward the the politicos for doing what they want. They just kind of look at them and, you know, say, okay, well, we're here and you can join us whenever you want. I've never really seen any uh, real nastiness. There's definitely a lot of moralizing that goes on. Hmm, Okay. Where where people are saying that it's inappropriate to vote, period, you know, to endorse any kind of political candidate because – they are part of the machinery of a coercive They may state. say that. I've certainly heard those comments well, made by people like Dale, who's our, one of our co-hosts on this show. But at the same time, Dale is not somebody who will disassociate himself from uh, the political activists unless no. they are trying to force him or trying to uh, somehow uh, continue to pressure him into doing political activism. Then he'll cut ties with them. But otherwise, uh, he's more than happy to go and socialize and have you know some beers with them and, and hang out. Whereas a lot of, uh, uh, there's a handful, not a lot, but a handful of the political activists who are just cutting any ties whatsoever with any of the anti-political people in this uh, in this movement and i well, think it's to their detriment they're burning bridges it i it, yes to some extent they are and it may to, i think it may not be personal i as far as a lot of people trying to distance themselves or cut ties because quite honestly i do think that there is civil disobedience that's gone on. i think there's been some that's been very productive and very worthwhile so it's not that i object completely to civil disobedience. I think that there has been some civil disobedience that's gone on that has not been civil in tone and that has not created any kind of goodwill with the public at large. So for people who are interested in trying to affect some kind of change through the political process, its image is important. If you're going to run for city council or if you're going to advocate some kind of a policy change, your credibility with everyday people and to some extent with legislators is important. Thing is, what's happening now here in New Hampshire is the news came out, I think today, that the New Hampshire legislators, some of them have created a rule, some committee created a rule for the state house saying that guns are no longer allowed, deadly weapons are no longer allowed inside the state house. And the result, or the, the reason why that happened they claim is because of a political rally where people were carrying weapons and being very rude and very loud. Well, it was actually it was during it was during business inside the state house. People, I, yeah. I believe it was a Senate hearing, and when the ruling, you know, when the vote came down or the decision came down that they didn't like, they started they were yelling booing, from yelling. the balcony. And right. I think some of those people were carrying firearms, if I remember correctly. Yes, they were. And that is their excuse. So my point here being that it was just the it was the political people, those people that showed up for that particular event. No, no, no. no. A lot of the people who showed happen. up for that event were more of the anarchist crowd, too. It wasn't strictly political. Nobody the, knew the who balcony. these guys were that were being loud and, well, and obnoxious. So who knows who they really were? But my point there is, well, I, even I, in I know political who they really events, are because I I know who they are and I've seen the video. I okay. know some of the people who are in there. Really, I did, I had not from the, what there I is understood. Video of it. 
Okay, from what I understood, people did not know who who those folks were. So I've seen video. Okay, well uh, that's that's fine. But what my point here is, it was the political uh, crowd in that event that uh, that was upsetting people. So my, what I'm saying is that it doesn't necessarily have to be civil disobedience for people to be rude and for people to be loud and obnoxious. No, and sir, I'm sure that there are people who are involved on the political side of things here who have done things that they could have done better and differently, and I'm sure not everybody on that side of the spectrum is a good ambassador for liberty either. So I want to continue here, and let's go to Brian Travis in New Hampshire. You're on Free Talk Live. Brian, you're on the amp line. Hey, guys. Yeah, I remember that HCR6 uh, hearing. I, I think what one thing that, that got him uh, upset, and yes, Nick, you're right, there was a lot of... Uh, uh, non-politicos there because you know it was a uh, it was a uh, it was the place to be. It was the social event that day or something. Um, and there were a lot of people carrying weapons, and it did get heated. I mean, when they voted uh, no, basically HCR six was uh, the thing that said New Hampshire will uh, you know if, if you federal people do just one more thing, then we're out of here. You know, it was that kind of a thing. And when they voted, uh, no, we want to just be subservient to the feds, that's when everybody raised up. And I remember the, the one thing that was really kind of disconcerting to, to the politicos and, and to the people on the floor underneath. The way it works is the, uh, the gallery is up above where all the, the citizens are, and then the legislature is down below. Somebody was saying, you're fired, you're fired, and everyone started saying, you're fired. And they got all way below. They thought the people were saying, fire, as in, you know, fire your weapons. Huh. Okay. I could see how that would be. I could see how that would raise a little bit of an alarm if you have armed people yelling fire at you. Yeah, but, I mean that, that wasn't what they were saying, but you know it did get heated, and and yes, there were some people open carrying. I'm not sure if they were the same uh, people who were doing that. I mean, it was it was a pretty raucous thing, but I didn't see a single gun being pulled out. You know, that's the thing. Right. Yes, it was it was heated because it was a very emotional thing. But um, I, I got word of this today. This. Uh, 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 rule that these this little committee made. Now this is a committee. Uh, it's the uh, Legislative Facilities Committee. These are the, the the committee that hire you know the custodians and decide what what color to paint the walls mm-hmm. and make sure the coffee machines are fixed. Right. Right. <laughs> well, uh, they decided you know I don't know if it was today or yesterday that the gun should no longer be allowed. <laughs> and so uh, when this thing hit the uh, the boards today. I called the nine of the 12 members. Now, the, the cool thing about here in New Hampshire is that it's a huge uh, citizen legislature. There's, there's like 400 and some so-called representatives, uh, and it's a pretty small state, one and a half million or something like that. Yeah, is it's that, the largest one in the, the entire country. I'll bring it back here, Brian. You can tell the rest of your story in a moment at 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. You can bring up whatever's on your mind. Can you even carry weapons into the state house in your state? Are there any other places in America where that is possible? I'm guessing Montana's probably Maybe like Alaska. That. Maybe Alaska, too. Yeah. And Vermont, perhaps? They're pretty gun-friendly perhaps. there. We're coming up. This is Free Talk Live. Free Talk Live amplifiers get access to higher-quality archives free of commercial breaks and other perks. Join AMP for just $3 per month at amp.freetalklive.com. Bring up whatever's on your mind by dialing in toll-free at 800-259-9231. That's the SACL-CAI toll-free line. 
1-800-259-9231. Tonight, it's Ian with you. And Nick. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All the features are free on the site, and they include archives. So if you've missed a moment of the show, click and download. They're yours free right on the front page at freetalklive.com. Well, I got my uh, Lakotas today from Midas. Uh, you can go to gold.freetalklive.com and order yourself some gold or silver. I got the silver rounds. They're one ounce, uh, I think, 0.999 fine silver rounds. The Lakota, silver Lakota, and very, very pretty, just like people have been saying. And I actually was pleased because I guess the 2009 version of it, they've removed the $50 symbol from the front of the Lakota so it just has an Indian on the, the front side of the, uh, the the piece and on the back side it still says the word 50 on it but it doesn't have a dollar sign or or the actual numerical 50 so I, I think it's a little less confusing uh, as far as I just didn't like the idea of it having money, a dollar sign. Yeah, you don't it. want people confused thinking that it's an actual government coin. Exactly. So they seem to have solved that issue with the 2009 uh, version of the Lakota, which is available to you at gold.freetalklive.com. Various different silver and gold options there for you. We try to keep it simple, and the prices are darn good. It was the best that I could find for the Lakota. Head over to gold.freetalklive.com. As we continue here, bringing back Brian in New Hampshire. You're back on the amp line. Now, Brian, we're talking about a about what's been a, a controversial subject over the last 24 hours for liberty-minded activists here in New Hampshire, as our listeners that have been tuned in for a while know. Uh, on this program, myself, uh, I am a member of the Free State Project. Brian, you are as well. We made the move here in order to get active for liberty. And the way people get active differs a bit uh, across different people. And what has happened is the New Hampshire state legislators have banned guns. They banned all deadly weapons from the state house. And there's some conflict now between activists as to how to handle this. Some people say they should just go and beg for their rights back. Others say, the hell with that. Let's uh, let's do some civil disobedience. And you were going to tell us about your, I guess, discussions with some of these bureaucrats or these politicians that went through with this. Well, the, the, it wasn't the legislature that did it. It was nine out of the 12 people on some obscure uh, committee that decides uh, who the the company is that's going to fix the coffee machines in the in the buildings. Right. Yeah, that's really what this what this committee was uh, was formed to do, and that's their charter. Um, so uh, uh, one last thing about New Hampshire is um, that there are a, a, a large number of these so-called representatives per capita, uh, four hundred and some with a one and a half million population, and all of their uh, they all have a telephone and at least a desk. I think maybe even they even share a desk at, at the state house. But they also have their home phone numbers listed in all of the all, all the sites. It's true. And so we can actually call them at home, which is really weird for me coming from California and Colorado. Yeah, that's just not an option in most places. Right. So I called all nine of the uh, the people who voted yes on this uh, on this thing, and um, of course nobody called me back <laughs> uh, except for one guy. One of them did call me back, and I was able to get some information. Uh, I, I called him courageous for calling me back, but then I realized all I did was leave my name and phone number with his wife, uh, who took the message, and because mm-hmm. she had trouble finding a pencil or something, and I, I didn't. She, he didn't really know whether I was uh, for it or against it. Gotcha. So we we had a chat for a while, and, and no one else was called back, by the way, and nobody answered. And he said, I said, why, why are you doing this? He says, well, we're just reinstating a rule that was effective from 1990, whatever, until until 2000. Um, I think it was 2006. And I said, well, why was it uh, 
turned out in 2006. Oh, because it wasn't specific enough or something. Mm-hmm. He, he said that there, there was a rule banning guns from the, the, the legislative offices, uh, but then it was, uh, you know, uh, turned down in 2006 because it, it didn't specify exactly what a legislative office was. Of course, we all, we all know this is BS. But I said, well, in 2006, uh, one of your representatives uh, presented a bill to ban uh, guns in the state capitol. Uh, and that went down nine to one, uh, what's called inexpedient uh, to legislator, whatever it's ITL, in the committee that says, we don't think this should be passed. Then it goes to the full house and it was turned down 200 and something to 19. So wow. it was roundly defeated. And so I asked this guy, well, you know that that, that person who introduced that bill, she was ousted in the next election. So it's a, it's clear, it seems clear to me that the people and the legislature in New Hampshire think that it's okay to carry guns. Why did nine of you say that it's not? What did he say? Well, he said, all we're doing, we're just reinstating this rule that's more specific. You know, it obviously is an okay <laughs> thing. He, he was, he's a politician. He, he tried to weasel yeah. out of it. And then he said something like, well, we're just trying to balance, you know, the, we, we want to protect individual rights, and we also want to make sure that everybody's safe. And I said, well, you know, uh, personal protection is a pretty basic individual right. Absolutely. Well, when was the last time there was a mass shooting at the uh, New Hampshire State House? Well, I, or I, any I, shooting. I, I said, what incident, you know, caused this, caused this to even come up? And he said, well, you know, there was something that I wasn't there, and it was this HCR6 thing that we talked about before the break. Right. So uh, apparently that was justification enough for them uh, to to bring this out, which, you know, I'm not a political type at all. I'm more along the anarchy lines. But, um, you know, the political types, they were right when they said, you guys need to behave yourself. You know, you need to treat these people with respect. Eh, I, I can understand why they would say that. But, you know, I, I really don't need to treat anybody with respect until they earn it from me. Absolutely. But, so it's a tough, it's tough to balance between you know a rational uh, political type and a rational anarchist type, and, and I've been having trouble with this. Do we behave ourselves? Do we let our emotions out? You know what? But you're not going to take my gun away. Well, are they going to take your gun away? I mean, it's my understanding there's uh, going to be some sort of a gathering tomorrow or demonstration or, or protest uh, at, at the state house. There are no legislators expected to be there tomorrow. However, it is expected to be open and the staff will be there. So I, I'm just wondering, I mean, are you expecting that people will be doing civil disobedience? How do you feel about that? Do you think that it's inappropriate? No, I'll be rocking it with my gun. Uh, oh, you will? But, okay, you're poisoning the well, Brian. Freak stater, go home. <laughs> I asked the guy, I said, well, so what happens if I go in there tomorrow and I, I have my, my Glock, you know, sitting visible on my belt? He says, well, you'll be asked to leave. Well, what if I don't leave? Uh, well, actually, uh, that might not take effect until January 1st. <laughs> oh. Uh, well... The other thing yeah. is, this seems like a—I mean, this seems like an administrative rule. So I'm not sure that it's actually—I mean, they might be able to make you leave and arrest you on something like disorderly, disorderly. conduct. But if you don't well, leave, I, but I, it I, seems to me that there's no there's no law here to make it. You're not actually committing a crime. You're just doing something that a committee has said should not be allowed. Right, but then they could say you're trespassing, and then they could bust you on that. You know, they're not going to bust you for carrying a gun. Because this this rule doesn't have any metal detectors associated with it or anything like that. You could carry, right. you know, something concealed. Brian, aren't but, you concerned that you're going to ruin it for the politicos by uh, engaging in civil disobedience? I 
I think we all have the same goal in mind, and and uh, I will support whatever sounds good to me. Right, and I mean, if there are not going to be legislative sessions being held tomorrow, then if this is going to be done, if somebody's going to go in there wearing a gun, then I would say that that's a better day to do it. Then you're not going to be making a scene. Things like that. Not a huge scene. Well, it's usually the government bureaucrats that make the scene. I mean, they're likely going to go in there and they're going to have signs and they're going to, I mean, I guess, I guess that's a scene, people with signs and a protest in general. But the scene is usually made when the government bureaucrats come up and they start making demands and start getting uh, upset. That's when things become a scene, typically. Well, I'm sure there will be plenty of uh, cameras there so everyone can see what happens tomorrow. I I just hope it uh, it remains civil, but, uh, you know, who knows what's going to happen with this. Right. Well, I mean, they're the ones that are uncivil. They're the ones that are threatening violence. They're the ones that are willing to put you uh, in handcuffs and take away your freedom from you. You were just trying to carry your weapon as you would might normally do in the in the state house, and you certainly weren't threatening anyone with it. I hope it goes well tomorrow, and I hope that uh, there's a good group of folks that decides to go ahead and, and just obviously violate this ludicrous ban that is actually putting people in danger. Brian, thanks for the call. Appreciate hearing from you, and good luck tomorrow at 800-259-9231. It's, it's putting more people in danger by banning weapons from the Statehouse, because if somebody does manage to bring in some kind of weapon with ill intent, there won't be very many people around who could stop that person. More coming up. You can bring up anything. This is Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live, and you can bring up anything. Dial in toll-free at 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line, 1-800-259-9231. Tonight, it's Ian with you. And Nick. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. we got the features there, and we give them to you for free. So enjoy those on us. Again, freetalklive.com. We've shared some stories on this program uh, over the last who knows how long, about just some really, really bad parenting. You know you're a bad parent when you've got to call the police to deal with your kid for whatever piddly crap uh, that your kid is doing that virtually every other teenage kid does. So most parents can handle these situations without calling in the cops, but some of them can't. And here's an example of one. BostonHerald.com reporting... It's game over for a 14-year-old Roxbury boy whose overwhelmed mother was so exasperated with his incessant video game playing that she called the cops on him. The final straw for Angela Maja snapped at 2.30 a.m. Saturday when she says, I woke up in the middle of the night and saw the light on in his bedroom hours after she had told him to go to sleep. Sometimes I want to run away too, Maja said, breaking down in tears in her immaculate apartment. I have support from my church, but I'm alone. I want to help my son, but I can't find a way. Maija is among thousands of parents struggling with today's video game-obsessed youth. The Entertainment Software Association reports the popularity of video games is skyrocketing, with 42% of adults intending to give or hoping to find one in their Christmas stocking this week. Maija's son... One of four children, the 49-year-old is raising alone, was playing Grand Theft Auto, an exceedingly violent video, they forgot the word game, in which the gamer assumes the role of ladder-climbing criminal. <laughs> ladder-climbing criminal. Well, uh, you do move up. You do have to climb the criminal ladder. Oh, I see. That, you, that's uh, what they're talking right, about. It's like climbing the corporate ladder. Ladder. Okay. Uh, I was going to say, there have been not, games where you climb ladders, not, but not... Not a literal ladder, right. 
Uh, an argument ensued as Mija unplugged her son's PlayStation. Then this mad as hell mother dialed 911. Why? Why not just take the power cable from the PlayStation and be they done go with to it? bed? Yeah. yeah. Police responded and managed to talk the boy into shutting off the game and going to sleep. They, the police, were just like, chill out, go to bed, the boy told the Herald. Mija said she approves of athletic-themed videos, but as for Grand Theft Auto, she said, I would never buy that kind of video. No way. <laughs> I, I just think this this uh, this whole article is very silly, the way they keep calling them videos. It, it, the mom, They're games. Right. The mom called them a video, and... So the authors of the article are also calling them videos. They're video games, people. It's like uh, people calling the Nintendo uh, cartridges cassettes. No, no, those aren't cassettes. I understand the confusion with that one, uh, but they're clearly not videos. They're software. They're games. They're programming. Anyway, she says, I would never buy that kind of video. No way. I called the police because if you don't respect your mother, what are you going to do in your life? With that, what, aren't the police uh, an organization that are supposedly there to respond to crimes? Yes. Is not is not being on a good life path a crime? Uh, the police will respond to much more than just crimes these days. So, uh, I mean, just over the weekend, I had an encounter with the police. I can talk about that in a moment. But Maja, a cafeteria cashier at the Veterans Affairs Medical Center, so she's a bureaucrat, in Jamaica Plain, said the two officers who responded were surprised there was more involved than putting the lid on a simmering family feud. Emmy Award-winning documentarian Lawrence Kuttner, former co-director of the Center for Mental Health and Media at Massachusetts General Hospital, is the author of Grand Theft Childhood, The Surprising Truth About Violent Video Games and What Parents Can Do. Kuttner says, Clearly, it's a very, very rare situation for someone to call the cops. That she went to the extreme of calling the police tells me more about her level of frustration than anything else. Adults tend to view video games as isolating experiences. Kids view them as social experiences. It's a way, in part, especially for boys, of gaining social acceptance. So I just wanted to share that with you as uh, as an example of just the absurdity uh, that some people will call the police for. Now, she's lucky that the police didn't decide to accidentally think that he had his hands on a pistol instead of a video game controller and blast his brains halfway across the room. Those things have happened. They have happened. It, it sounds silly for me to say it's something like that. It's understandable how it would happen. If, if, if the, you, know, you don't know what the police are necessarily going to hear on the other end of the line. And if, if they're hearing that there's a, you know, just a domestic dispute going on, they may be showing up expecting, yep. you know... Uh, a husband and wife to be fighting and the potential for a firearm to be involved. There have been many examples of the police being called by somebody who really had the best of intentions that they wanted to, to solve a problem or there was some sort of conflict and they, they believed that the police would help solve that conflict. And in many cases, they solved the conflict by harming the other individual or killing them. So I guess she should feel lucky that she still has well, her son's life. And I'm not sure that that in every single circumstance I necessarily pin the blame on the police. It seems like once you call the police, you're calling men with guns to solve your problem. Sure. So don't call them. That's yeah. I mean, it's understand like when the police show up, there is a potential that they might really believe that somebody has a gun when they don't. There's always that risk and you never know which officer is going to be responding, what's going through their head. So there is a certain amount of risk in calling the police. 
And so uh, just just wanted to give an example here. You're welcome to share your stories at 800-259-9231. Take control of the airwaves. Bring up whatever you want. But maybe uh, some of the parents out there could share some suggestions as to how to deal with their kids playing too much video games. Because I imagine there are parents out there that are a lot more creative than pick up the phone and call the cops if the son is uh, if your son is up late playing video games. So maybe a, l- a little bit more creative options. Would love to hear what some of those are. Even if you want to be harsh, I mean, wait till he goes to school and throw all the games in the console away or lock them away somewhere Ooh, yeah, he doesn't know harsh. about. Yeah. It'd be harsh, but if you want him to stop playing video games... That would do it. That would do it. All right, so the toll-free number here is 800-259-9231. That is the SACL CAI toll-free line. And what's the worst that happens? I mean, so he's up late on a Saturday night. This was a Saturday night at 2 in the morning. So he's up late, Saturday night. Okay, he sleeps in Sunday. I don't, so what? I don't know. Let's continue here and take your calls. Go to Dylan in Wisconsin. You're on Free Talk Live. Hello, Dylan. Hey, uh, you know, I, I'm in the economics class in high school, and uh, we've been learning about, like, monopolies and whatnot and, mm-hmm. like, the causes of monopolies. And yeah. I don't know, like, I feel like I would love to get the government out of everything, but I, I'm looking at this, some of the stuff, and although I know governments sometimes cause monopolies, sometimes it just seems like there isn't really a good way to handle monopolies or like how, what do you guys the, the government is pretty much the only way you can cause a monopoly can you give an example I mean, a, of what a, you're a t- true hundred percent market share monopoly yeah can you give an example well, of what you're here, referring to right uh well i have my textbook right here uh, right. i can't guarantee anything out of here but uh you know some of the some of the causes they say are uh control of a scarce resource or input like say uh diamonds is the example they use diamonds are actually not as scarce as people think, but there's a monopoly on the... Well, it's, it's it's sort of a monopoly. I mean, really what you're dealing with with diamonds is a cartel. You have, I think, about three major diamond companies that control the vast majority of the market, so they can keep that, you know, they basically have handshake deals where they do keep the vast majority of diamonds from hitting the market. Otherwise, the, the value of a diamond right. really wouldn't be very much at all. That's probably right, one fact, of the best uh, examples that... They're actually less scarce than a lot of the other uh, quality. That's true. Gems. That's a true statement. And it's probably one of the best examples you could have come up with because De Beers has, to some extent, uh, my understanding, taken over a good chunk of the diamond mines yeah. out there. I don't know what involvement I, they've had with I the mean, state in order to get that to, done. To, to some extent, I mean, when it, and this, I'm not trying to dodge it here, particularly with the the issue of diamonds. It is a scarce resource, so you, you, you know, that is one case where you do have market forces essentially creating maybe not a monopoly but a duopoly or you know a handful of companies controlling this product. It seems very odd to me, and this is one of the reasons that I don't understand why people buy diamonds. People, anybody can educate themselves and know that it's a false, it's a phony market. So why would I pay a large amount of money for what is a not very scarce resource? So to a large extent, I think that they're, they can do that simply because people are willing to pay ridiculous amounts of money for a stone that really serves very little practical purpose. I mean, I guess there's some industry. Well, it's just a status symbol, you know. Right. Well, and it's the De Beers, De Beers has done a brilliant multi-decade-long marketing campaign uh, that has so successfully placed diamonds as this iconic status yeah. Uh, that in this country and others where even like in Japan where it never diamonds never were big with their uh, their culture over there until De Beers started promoting them over there and now it, it, people buy diamonds there too what i would say is that to some extent i've heard that they 
there's technology out there to make artificial diamonds. It's true. Lab grown. And as I'm you know, afraid. as that improves, you might see the actual market value of a diamond go down significantly. So it does spur innovation. I want to keep this topic going, though. So if you can hang through the news, uh, Dylan, I want to bring you back here. Let's talk more about monopolies, how they exist, and why they continue. What is the nature of a monopoly, etc. More coming up. Hour two's on the way. Free talk live. How long can you hold your breath? Not long. After air, water is the most critical factor for life. There are dozens of toxic substances in tap water, even pharmaceutical drugs that city processing can't remove. Sadly, most bottled water isn't much better. The chemicals in the bottles themselves are a serious health concern and a huge environmental problem. Filtering your own drinking water is the logical answer. You'll have a much better quality of water and save a bunch of money, too. Aquasana filters are thorough and more affordable per gallon than even pitcher-type filters. Aquasana is consistently voted the best choice by Consumers Digest. The filters are easy to use and install. Call 866-NO-BOTTLE to order or link online through freetalklive.com. If you'd like a 20% discount, and who wouldn't, when ordering online, use the discount code FTL. Again, that's FTL. Or call toll-free 866-NO-BOTTLE and tell them we sent you to get a great discount on all Aquasana products. Drink smart. 1-866-NO-BOTTLE. Live, you can bring up whatever you want. Dial in toll-free. We launch here into the second hour of the program, 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. 1-800-259-9231. And tonight, it's Ian with you. And Nick. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. We give you the features free, so enjoy those on us. Again, that is freetalklive.com. And to bring back Dylan. He's with us in Wisconsin. And Dylan, you said you're in high school. Is that right? Yeah. And they are talking about monopolies in your high school class, which inevitably means they are giving out all kinds of poor information, misinformation, and maybe just some outright lies. Um, and oh, so, yeah. My my textbook, I feel like, is pretty biased. But my teacher's, uh, she's pretty, you know, in the middle. So Okay. Well, let's look a little bit further at this. And when you brought up the, uh, the, the diamond, because I'd asked you for some examples of what is being taught, what is being suggested in class, and you brought up the, uh, the so-called diamond monopoly. And I, I told you that I th- initially I thought that was a, was a good example, a fairly decent example to bring up. However, that was because I was relying on old information about De Beers. And let me just talk a little bit further about De Beers. De Beers is probably one of the more well-known diamond companies out there. But these days, it isn't even close to having a monopoly over diamond production. Uh, back in 1902, De Beers controlled 90% of the world's diamond production. This according to uh, Wikipedia. And again, there's cited sources for all of this. But today, they only control 40% of the diamond market. And there are other competitors in the the business like Rio Tinto, BHP, Billiton, Lev Leviev, and, and others. So, okay, so is, is it like more of like, a, like say, an oligopoly where there's, you know, large, many, not many, but few larger firms? Yeah, I, I mean, I would say that that's probably a fair analysis. I mean, there's not, I don't think there are all that many big diamond producing firms. And I think that to some extent, I mean, they are still manipulating the market they're still they're, they realize it's not in their self-interest to flood the market with diamonds because there certainly is a surplus supply of diamonds that mm-hmm. these companies control and if they did release them all into the market the the market value of diamonds would plummet so they they aren't releasing 
as much or producing as much as they could because they know it's in their it's in their self interest not to flood the market with diamonds, whether you're De Beers or anybody else. Um, right. But there, at least there is some aspect of competition which does put some upper limit on how high a particular company can charge for its diamonds. For instance, right, De Beers can't charge market power. Right. I mean, De Beers can't charge twice what its next biggest competitor is going to charge because they'll be undercut and people will go with cheaper diamonds. Well, and anytime you have a cartel, there's always the and I don't know if all these companies are all working together with a with a handshake and a nudge and a wink, but uh anytime you do have a cartelized situation where there is some sort of agreement on price fixing, there's always going to be a pressure from the marketplace to have one of the members of the cartel break ranks and lower their prices. How, does it mean they're going to go that much lower? No, just maybe they'll go low enough to get some sales over their uh, their well, other why competitors. Why would you go super low? I mean, right. if if De Beers is charging eight hundred dollars for a diamond, maybe I could afford, you know, on a cost basis point of view. Maybe I, it only cost me a hundred dollars to get the diamond out of the ground and finish. Maybe I could only, you know, I could sell it for a hundred and fifty dollars. But if De Beers is charging eight hundred, I'm probably going to charge seven fifty. So right on its face, just looking at the fact that there are competitors in the business, there's no way you could call De Beers a monopoly. You can't call this a monopoly it's not a situation. Monopoly. You might be able to characterize the you know the diamond production as a cartel, and certainly uh, that exists. Of course, I would point out that you know if the argument is that we need government around to break up monopolies, I would point out that you know the the diamond monopoly has not been broken up. And the cartel structure of it, if it exists, I'm sure there is some amount of market manipulation going on. That has not been addressed by governments. So to some extent, I'm not sure that we're better off than we would be in a free market situation. Right. Uh, you know, well, for starters, obviously, for a monopoly to happen or anything even similar to a monopoly, there's got to be barriers to entry. And, you know, that basically just means anything that makes it difficult or impossible for other firms to enter the industry. That much is true, and usually the uh, what you're talking about would be the government and its regulations yeah. and its licensing. So whenever yeah. you find monopolies, so, and I can give you real-life examples of monopolies here in New Hampshire. Well, power utilities. Right, power yeah. okay. uh, the thing, and The cable. thing about, about utilities, this is, this is really where the whole, my whole issue with you know, the intervention or not uh, stemmed from is... Uh, Power companies and you know utilities like natural gas and mm-hmm. say even even cable companies and whatnot, uh, their monopolies derive from what's called economies of scale, and that just basically means that it costs so much to get it started. You know the fixed costs there. It, yeah, that, I mean you have to lay infrastructure basically in order yeah, to that, that it makes it difficult for somebody to enter because it, it cer- costs so I mean, much. It certainly does. I mean, as far as cable TV goes, that at one point that might have been a monopoly to it's some not extent. Not anymore, though. It's no, I mean you've got satellite, satellite TV and the internet. Um, when you're dealing with things like power supply, it perhaps to some extent. Um, I mean, there are certainly barriers to entry that that there is a limited amount of competition, or I believe there would be a a fairly limited amount of competition in those circumstances in the free market. Well, what we're dealing – I think you may be right about that, but at the same time, uh, just to say that it's expensive to start a business is not any way to back up the claim that, well, it's always going to be a monopoly. it needs to be a – I mean, for something like a utility, though – it, it does. There's certain infrastructure that needs to be laid, and that would be difficult to to do. 
it would be. Yeah, a, it's, it's, you're not, right. it's not like any random business. I mean, we're talking about a lot of money here. So well, that's why you have lazy. investors. I mean, we're talking about businesses that can have a lot of money because they have investors I mean, who have a lot of money who are willing to invest in the hopes of getting a return. What I'd like to point out here is that in the absence of some sort of governmental control or governmental pro- pro- prohibition on new competing power plants and things like that, I mean, you can't build a new nuke plant in this country if you wanted to. They're just going to prevent you from doing that. So it's a highly regulated business as it is. But even in the absence of all that, let's presume you're right that this cost of entry is very high and that there's only so many people who could possibly buy the the power in the first place and the existing company they've got all the the, the existing subscribers and so why would somebody want to come in and, and compete with that well the question would be would the existing company what we're talking about presumably they would have some sort of natural monopoly right that they've earned this and that they came there first they set up all the infrastructure and that they got all the customers and they but they've been be providing a monopoly but it'd be a, a, an effectively it's it'd be a market monopoly is basically what it would be it'd be because they would be they would be providing a service at a certain price to where people want to continue. But if they get too greedy and all of a sudden double the rates because hey, it's our monopoly, you know, nobody else is here to compete with us, so let's double our rates. Eventually somebody's going to get it in their heads that they could make some money well, if they if they enter into the and marketplace. There are other market, I mean, as far as um the consumption side of things goes, you would also there's a certain drawback to say increasing the electric rates even if you know you're not going to likely lose a whole lot of your customers for a, a certain increase in your rates. You also have to understand that people are going to try to use more energy-efficient appliances. They're going to try to turn mm-hmm. lights off in their house. If the if the amount of money they're paying per kilowatt hour goes up, they're going to try to reduce the amount of electricity they're consuming. So you could actually not make any more money or less money if you raise your rates to a certain point. Also, why uh, one of the other things we're talking when we're talking about power companies is we're sort of discussing this under the current paradigm that you have to have in order to have a power company you have to have substations and major power generating uh, locations and and distribution across an entire city. Whereas what you could have, as far as competitors are concerned, you could have neighborhood power companies. You could have power companies that only operate in small areas and and offer competition and or nuclear yeah, I plants. Think, and, I think without the government. Regulation, it would be a lot more feasible to break into a lot of these areas that we currently Absolutely. think about as a as a as a natural monopoly. I think to a large extent they are made natural monopolies simply because it's illegal for me to you know, here's, set, here's, set up a power plant and run lines to my neighbor's house. Here's the thing: as I understand what you guys are saying about breaking it up and uh, whatnot, but you know, in in the absence of say. I mean, and I'm completely against government. I hate it, everything about it. But, but I, I just can't get my mind past this. It's like any absence of some kind of government intervention in, say, a situation where there's monopolies. Right? Well, if we had all of these smaller firms instead of one large firm, all providing, say, for their local, their their communities. Okay, if one grows, if one community grows. And the firm grows with Long it. question. We're going to bring you back to finish it here in moments. It's Free Talk Live. DVD, books, music, instruments, periodicals, computers, software, electronic, photo, cell phone, office product, home and garden, bed and bath, furniture, kitchen, pet supply, automotive, hardware, apparel, shoes, jewelry, grocery, healthcare, sports and outdoors, toys, games, used and more. It's a department store at your fingertips. Amazon.freetalklive.com. Get all your shopping done, a great deal, delivery to your door, and a percentage of your purchase will go to Free Talk Live when you enter Amazon through Amazon.freetalklive.com. 
live, and you can bring up anything. Dial in toll-free at 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. 1-800-259-9231. And you can join us on our Facebook profile. Just head over to facebook.freetalklive.com and become a fan. It's free, of course. That's facebook.freetalklive.com. And don't you just hate making extra trips back out to the car just to carry in more grocery bags? I have the solution for you, and I've been using it for the last several months here at the house. Totasac. Go to totasac.com to learn more about this 100% recycled material, made of 100% recycled materials handle that makes it incredibly simple to carry multiple grocery bags all with one hand. Of course, if you've got two hands, you can carry twice as much. Uh, it really makes it easy to bring the groceries back. For me, it's one trip. I load up my totasacs and go inside. That's it. You can go to totasac.com, T-O-T-A-S-A-K.com. Get yourself a family pack today. As we go back to Dillon in Wisconsin, we're having a, a lengthy discussion about the concept of monopoly. And Dylan is in high school, so inevitably he's getting some really uh, poor information about the uh, the idea in the first place. And I'm glad you called in about this tonight, Dylan, because it's it's a concept that a lot of Americans are just completely c- clueless or very confused about. They believe things uh, companies like Microsoft have monopolies. And no, I'm sorry, not even close. As long as you have competitors in a marketplace, you can't possibly have a monopoly. And there are two ways that, uh, it's my understanding that at least, that there are two different types of monopolies out there. There are the government-forced monopolies, like the power company, for instance, or other areas wherein government will regulate other competitors out of business or prevent competitors from getting into the market in the first place. So that's the most frequently found type of monopoly out there. Then there's kind of a theoretical market monopoly, which could theoretically be reached if a it company was often. I mean, no. I can't think of circumstances where I'd say there's a hard 100% market share market monopoly. It's only theoretical in there, that if a company does such a great job of providing a product or service at a great price and great customer service that no one would be interested in getting into the market and uh, competing against them, that technically would be a market monopoly. But as you say, Nick, where are the examples of this? Right. So, I mean, but there are certainly certain areas in the marketplace where there's less competition than other areas. That's true. And if there's more competition needed in a free market, anybody can jump in and do that. So, Dylan, you were bringing a, you were building up to a question. If you could recap that for us, all right? Because you didn't get a chance uh, to finish well, it. What you guys were saying about uh, instead of maybe like one power company, and you would do like a neighborhood, you know, smaller individual firms. Uh, I like that, except, you know, obviously there's going to be companies that do better, and uh, you know. Because you know economics is there's there's two main things about economics and it's efficiency and equity. But in this case, it is more efficient to have one company, so a monopoly, on say power or natural gas because of the cost advantage. Because when they serve more people, then they they can spread out their costs so much easier. Whereas if we had these individual firms. They wouldn't be able to spread their costs. So even in a free market, if, say, we had these individual neighborhood power suppliers or natural gas suppliers, uh, eventually, I mean, obviously, I, and this is competition, so I, it's, I'm not against this, but I'm saying eventually there would be very few firms, if not one, because of the spreading effect where they can spread out their costs over you know, their total outputs. 
Well, it, certain, this, yeah, I mean, there certainly are efficiencies of scale, and generally what you see is if you have an area of competition like uh, the production of soda. I mean, Coca-Cola, if I recall correctly, has number one market share, followed by Pepsi, and in the United States, the next leading independent producer of soda, I believe, is RC, RC. Royal Crown, which has about 1% market share. And that's fairly typical, but I wouldn't say that there is a monopoly or a duopoly on the production of soda, because I can still get RC or whatever other There are many regional brands, brands right. and uh, store brands, private labels, things like but that. But it is certainly, I mean, to some extent, from a marketing standpoint, from a distribution standpoint, it is more efficient in, in some industries well, to have, you know, as close to a monopoly as possible. Can we point something out here, though? I mean, since you bring up soda, I think it's a good example. Obviously, Coke and Pepsi are huge. And so if what uh, Dylan is saying is true across the board, then that should mean that they should be able to sell their product fairly cheaply. However, it's not. Maybe it's because of their what advertising budget. expensively. Um, no, no, no. He was saying that you save money by uh-huh. having an economy of scale, so you're producing a lot for a, a large amount of people, so therefore your your costs go down. But I can walk into any grocery store and get a store brand private label soda that tastes, in many cases, as good or better than the big name competitors for oh, yeah. a fraction of the price. You walk into Walmart and get a Sam's Choice, it's 25 cents out of the, the machine compared to the 50 cents or 75 cents that you might pay otherwise. Uh, and then, of course, if you're buying 12 packs, you can get the cost down to, you know, 12 cents a can or, or something like that. So, I mean, how do you explain that one? Well, in, in a situation like that, and it's a situation where, you know, sodas, sodas can, there's, it's products that can be differentiated. You know, with, 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 uh, with Coke and Pepsi, obviously they taste different. What you're saying is some might taste better than others, you know, obviously depending on who you are. But... In a situation like that, they can they, the spreading effect still matters. It's just it's just that they have lower average total costs. But well, uh, if I was going to, I mean, if I was going to try to figure out what what the likelihood was of seeing a lot of monopolies in uh, a more free market system, what I would try to do is look to the past in the United States because I don't believe it was right up until about the you know the turn of the last century that we saw antitrust legislation being adopted to any kind of a scale. And certainly there are there are examples that people will point to. Um, I think Standard Oil is one that people will point to that came sort of close to being a monopoly. But by and large, you, you didn't have a big problem with monopolies prior to the adoption of antitrust legislation in the United States. So it was essentially a free-for-all prior to that. And we didn't have huge problems in the United States where, you know, the, the market overall failed to function because there were a lot of monopolies that, that destroyed competitive you know, competition. You might get one example that comes pretty close to being a monopoly with some of the negative effects. But the argument that a lot of people, especially high school teachers, and you said your teacher was pretty unbiased, but a lot of people in academia will argue that we need the government around to intervene or else the market wouldn't work at all and there'd be no competition. That's simply not the case. I won't say that there wouldn't be cases where there are natural market barriers to entry where you would have a, a, a practically limited amount of competition. And, you know, it, nothing's going to be ideal. I mean, certainly there are going to be situations in a free market economy 
they're they're not ideal for the consumer. No, it's not utopia. Right. It's just the best possible yeah. choice for mankind. Overall, I would to get say along. it is. And I'm not even I'm not even saying that I necessarily think that monopolies are always even a bad thing because, like I said, they can you know when when you have a say a natural monopoly like the power, it can be more efficient to have one company do that, and you know they're not going to just jack their prices up because then that that does leave it open like you were saying earlier i think that there you for go. another firm to enter the industry at that point thanks dylan for the call tonight appreciate the discussion at 800-259-9231 so again if there is going to be a monopoly then it should be a market monopoly that exists based on the fact that they're just providing the best possible darn service out there and nobody wants to jump in and compete with them we have a lot more monopolies with government than i think we would have without absolutely more coming up you take control of the airwaves bring up anything it is free talk live Talk Live. You are invited to take control of the airwaves. If you dial in toll-free, you can bring up anything at 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. 1-800-259-9231. You can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. We give you the features free, so enjoy those on us. Again, that's freetalklive.com. Nick, did you go to college? No. Okay. I went to two years at a community college down in Florida. I'm thinking about getting my associate's degree, though. Really? For what purpose? Just to have it. It oh. makes me more employable. Is it true? I, I, well, I think to some extent it would. I, I have a situation where my employer would compensate me for a certain amount of money per year. Oh, that's not bad. So then. it actually kind of makes sense to to do it. But yeah, if, if it doesn't free. cost you anything right. except time, then it's not so bad, Right. right. Um, we want to talk a little bit more about college, but first, want to tell you about SACL CAI. Jason Osborne's over there, and he has a full-orbed approach to account recovery. It's really three companies uh, three companies in one. They do collections, early outbuilding, and they purchase charged-off receivables. SACL knows the way they treat your customer reflects on you. Their staff is respectful, they record every call, and they have the best equipment money can buy, so your business is handled as efficiently as possible. See their banner at freetalklive.com. That's SACL C-A-I. As we continue here, I invite you to our website at freetalklive.com. We've got archives, so if you've missed a moment of the show, click and download. They're yours for free. Again, that's freetalklive.com. So we'll take your calls about anything, but uh, the, the issue of college debt is one that is looming over a lot of people in this country. And it can be absolutely crippling to the life that they uh, that they have ahead of them after they get out of college. And they don't really realize that when they're getting into it. In fact, many people actually take college loan money and, and do other things with it besides pay for college and just spend themselves even further into debt than they, uh, they would otherwise have to. They don't, don't make the best and brightest decisions, but then again, the college uh, loan officers aren't really that concerned with what well, they do with the money. Well, you're told that you need to go to college and that it's something that you should do generally if you're a young person. And right. If you want to be successful, you have to go to college, right. right? So so it's sold to you as something you don't really have a choice about. You have to do it. And people don't tell you the negative side to it, which is if you don't qualify for scholarships or you, you don't have, you know, an employer who could help you out or someone else who's going to help you pay for it, then you're really your only option is to go into debt. And people don't yeah. talk about the downside is you do have to take on all this debt, and even if you make more money as a result of getting a degree, you're going to have to pay off this debt with interest. Usually the interest isn't too bad, but it still adds up. So you're going to have to pay back 
the the expense of college plus interest over probably years decades. and years and years. For yeah. some people, it's decades. So there's a story uh, about this, and it, this is admittedly a topic that just that comes up a few times a year on Free Talk Live, and I th- I think it's a good one. I think it's very interesting to uh, to put this out there because number one, we love getting stories from you as to what your experience was like. Maybe you want to share with us. Was it worth it? Did you go to college? Did it pay off for you? Are you still in debt? What's your story? 800-259-9231. We'll share a few stories from ABC News. Like most students, Chris Alfred was repeatedly told in high school, everyone goes to college. Alfred said he owes more than $125,000 for his degrees in theater when he's not even working in that field. says, I work at a call center and I make $10 an hour. (laughs) It's surreal. I feel like a loser. Walter Rowland got a degree in meteorology and now owes $77,000 in student Ooh. loans. He said, college was a ripoff and nothing against, you know, my college or my professors, but I was misinformed. You're led down this path of needing to go to college, he continued. The college diploma is the new high school diploma, or so the college uh, salesman will tell you. And that's all they are. They're just selling you their product, selling you their service. Personal finance guru Suze Orman says college is a no-brainer for kids who can be lawyers and doctors. But she says that in this economy, and I can tell you before this economy, many others should reassess the value of a generic bachelor's degree. She believes it ultimately might not be worth it. Orman said it's often smarter to acquire specific marketable skills at a community college, technical school, or by working as an apprentice for a business, making yourself more employable without piling up a mountain of debt. I'd rather see a child go to a community college knowing they can go out there, get a job, and not be crushed under the burden of a prestigious degree, she said. Marty Nemco, an education consultant and career counselor, said he believes the bachelor's degree is America's most overrated product. Nemco is one of many who says there are some ugly statistics the education establishment doesn't like to talk about. He said the sticker price of college has gone up well over the rate of inflation for decades. Indeed, the price of gas has grown as much as the cost of a bachelor's degree since 1980. If, excuse me, if the price of gas had grown as much as the cost of a bachelor's degree since 1980, drivers would be filling up today for about $7.50 per gallon. Nemco said tuition money gets funneled into fancy facilities to lure students who don't question the long-term value of what they're paying for, things like rock climbing walls, golf courses, and maid services and dorms. Stop with these enormous country club college campuses, he said. They're robbing people who can't afford it. But what about that $1 million bonus for getting a bachelor's degree? This is one of the big claims that the college promoters... uh, You'll make a million dollars over your lifetime more than if you didn't have a bachelor's degree. There could be no more misleading statistic that I could possibly tell you about. Nemco says that because it includes the super earners, the billionaire college graduates who skew the average, so... You know, factoring in the people that are very, very wealthy instead of the average, uh, you know, not the average, the median college student. And many of those are people who already had opportunities prior to getting a bachelor's degree Mm -hmm. in many cases. He said the students who attend college are already more likely to be successful than those who don't. Economics, because of their families and their connections and all that. Economics professor Sandy Baum, author of Education Pays, a college board study promoting the advantages of higher education, says it's the education that makes the difference. He claims that on average, people benefit much more from going to college. Agreeing that the one million figure is inaccurate, her study estimates that graduates gain 
half of that. But again, they're just using an average. And that's one of the big problems here is you're averaging in people that are making far more than uh, than most people will be making. So an average, I don't think, is a very good statistic to be to be promoting. But no. A mean would be a better statistic to use. Correct. A mean being 50% make more than that and 50% make less than that. Yet universities just throw around that $1 million estimate. Arizona State University recently used it to justify a tuition hike. Hey, you'll make a million dollars extra in your life, so uh, well, we're just going to raise our rates. Rowland, Alfred, and Purcell are skeptical about the so-called college premium, but at least they graduated. Others aren't so fortunate. If you're in the bottom 40% of your high school class, and today colleges are recruiting lots of those kids, you have a very small chance of graduating, even if you're given eight and a half years, according to NEMCO. And the immoral thing about it is that colleges don't disclose that. The economist says we should make that information more available, but the reality is that if you have some college and you don't graduate, it still pays off in the labor market, he claims. For some kids, that's a gamble they'd rather not take. Carl Wunsch High School outside Houston lets kids choose among dozens of technical education programs, from emergency med tech training to training in crime scene investigation. This training qualifies them for real-world jobs without the time and money required for a four-year degree. Uh, Yeah, a technical degree is a lot more useful than, say, a bachelor's in psychology or art history or something like that. And I think that an associate's degree at, say, a community college or an inexpensive state school... it's there's some value there. I think you could get more return out of it than than what it costs. But again, you have to consider that if you're going into debt to pay for that, then that there there is a negative side to it as well. It's worth a thought. Electricians on average make about forty eight thousand dollars a year. Plumbers the forty seven thousand. Paralegals about forty seven thousand. All these jobs pay above the national average, and none of them require a bachelor's degree. Stephen Eilers went through the automotive program, then worked as an apprentice in a car repair center. He's already earning more than the average American, and he doesn't have any student loan debt. You know, one of my favorite examples, and she's not on the show tonight, but she'll be on uh, Friday with us, Julia, is uh, she didn't quite make it to her associate's degree. And she's working in the restaurant industry as an assistant manager and has no debt, and her dad has been getting college degree after college degree for his entire life. He's an academic. He's well, just full of debt, and he's in his 50s. So who's going to be better off long term? 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. You can bring up anything. This is Free Talk Live. Take control of the airwaves. Dial in toll free at 800 259 9231. That's the SACL CAI toll free line. 800 259 9231. Tonight it's Ian with you. And Nick. And you can join us online at freetalklive.com. We give you the features on the site free. And if you enjoy this program, you can become an amplifier for as little as $3 a month. We'll take that money in, reinvest it into the show, get on more radio stations across the country. 
and bring more internet listeners on board to uh, expand the show, expand the reach of Free Talk Live, uh, get more liberty-oriented messages into people's ears around the country, and you'll uh, get some perks, too, like access to the AMP-only call-in lines. You heard people using those earlier tonight, plus uh, the AMP-only podcast and forum and more. Get all the details. Get signed up with any major credit card, PayPal, or some alternative options at amp.freetalklive.com. What's your story when it comes to college? Uh, Did it work out for you? Was it a little bit too pricey? Are you still well into debt? Did it uh, was it a major failure for you? Because if you believe the college recruiters, then it's just all roses. You'll make million on average. You make more than a million dollars more than your non-college educated friends in a lifetime. And boy, oh boy, we that sure is great, isn't it? Come on over here, sign up. We'll give you a loan, and then you'll just pay us off whenever you can. Uh, and then for some people, it takes decades. But we promise you, you'll make well, more than uh, maybe maybe you'll make a million dollars, but maybe not. Because it turns out that million-dollar statistic is an average, which includes super earners, you know, the 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 doctors and the lawyers and the people that are really the people that go and get an additional degree, like a master's degree or a doctorate. It does include those uh, those people as well. And so some of the estimates say it's a five hundred thousand dollars more. But either way, uh, if you earn that much more money, how much do you pay in uh, in interest? Does that include the amount that – do they subtract the amount that you pay in interest on the college they subtract loans the well? I mean, I don't know if they're actually subtracting the principal. Just because I earn a million more dollars a year doesn't mean I don't have to pay back whatever the college education was right. in the first place. So if that's $75,000, $100,000, then you can knock that right off just for the was, principal. And if it was 500000 which some of the more honest uh, recruiters are claiming it is, then that's even it's even less than uh, than you'd be taking home. But there's a little more there's a little more here. We'll get to your calls because uh, I do want to hear from you. But I want to tell one more story from uh, the ABC News story here. Rachel Purcell has uh, it's turned out for her to be a total disappointment. College that is. She's the first one in her family to go to college, and she said she'll probably be the last. Earlier this month, struggling to make ends meet, Purcell moved out of her New Hampshire apartment and is upset about taking a step back. She says I didn't plan to go move back in with my mother but I feel like I have to sponge off my family now. Purcell never dreamed that this is what would happen after she graduated from college. She grew up hearing that education pays. Even political figures like Hillary Clinton were touting the benefits of a college degree. So Purcell borrowed enough money to pay about $24,000 a year to attend Revere College in Nashua, New Hampshire. That's about, now she's in uh, to about $85,000 in debt. I was just told to take out the loans and get the degree because when you graduate, you're going to be able to get that good job and pay them off. No well, problem. You have to remember, we're also the job market today and is not great. So. But these statements were true uh, five years ago. It was still true five or right. ten it, years I mean, ago. It's that true was that a college degree does not guarantee that you're going to get a great job. And frankly, in today's job market, there are millions upon millions of people out there with bachelor's degrees who are unemployed and they're... They're having difficulty finding work, so don't think that fresh out of college, a bachelor's degree is going to be any kind of, you know, any kind of great benefit to you no. over people who have a bachelor's degree and work experience and still can't find a job. You have no guarantees. Three years uh, is what Purcell spent. She spent three years struggling to find a job with her degree in human development, and the recession has made her search even tougher. To pay the bills, she took a low-level desk job with an insurance company, doing work she says she could have done straight out of high school. When asked if going to college was worth it, she replied with an emphatic no, because now I have this huge amount of debt, and there's no way I'll be able to pay it off. My co-host, Toby, has done the uh, the bachelor's degree thing, and he said it really wasn't worth it for him. 
financially. You know, of course, was... he's going back to school to get a master's degree oh, because, boy. well, he's found that if you work in a, a psychology, a psych major with a bachelor's degree, it's not really worth anything. If you get a master's degree, then yes, you are a lot more employable. But that's the thing. I mean, a lot of a lot of the things people want to do with a college degree, they can either do without any kind of a bachelor's degree. Or, yeah, like theater. Or, yeah, or if you have something specialized in mind, if you want to be an economist or a doctor or a lawyer, if you want to be in a fairly specialized, highly paid field, chances are you're going to need to get at least a master's degree, perhaps a doctorate. Uh, the, the very well possibly uh, it could be the case. I mean, certainly there are appropriate reasons to go to college. There certainly are. In some career paths, it's what you have to do. Uh, but in many cases, you know, if you're going to get your master's degree in the French horn, for instance. Yeah, well, probably and people not go to college for music. They yeah. really do. Yeah. So there are so many different examples of that, communications or whatever the, uh, the various different uh, liberal arts there's, degrees There's are. a lot of wishy-washy degrees out there now. Yep, let's yeah. go to your phone calls. I want to hear your story. What, what was your experience like? Roy's in Pennsylvania. You're on Free Talk Live. Hello, Roy. Hey, how's it going? Hey, what's on your mind tonight? I was call- well, I was listening to the show, and I was calling in about the college debt situation. Yes, sir. I think it's probably going to be the next big bubble, especially because there's so many people in debt, and yet there's absolutely no law that really protects the students. It's all on the sides of the banks. Right, you can't go bankrupt from college debt, correct? Yeah, it's insane because it's like in a true free market system, those loans technically shouldn't be in, able to be enforced. It'd be like gambling, just like Wall Street used to be. When you say <laughs> they shouldn't be able to be enforced, what do you mean by that? Um, well, I mean like in a free market situation, just like um, how Wall, Wall Street, I guess, used to be, it's essentially gambling. If you put out a loan, then... If they can't pay back, then it's not like you can put a gun to their head or have the cops take their house. I mean, like you, can, you can put them in collections, but, I mean, it's yeah. not a, it's an unsecured debt. It is a fairly high-risk debt, although yeah, my yeah. understanding is that the government-backed student loans are, are some of the most attachable forms of debt. So they can come after your assets uh, more so than they could if you had, say, a delinquent cable bill or something like that. Oh, yeah, that'd be uh, a little different. Oh, well, I have like no problem with... Wait, wait, wait. I have no problem with people being... Uh, have their butts put on the line when they get into Hawk. I think that they should be uh, having their assets confiscated and that sort of thing. If you claim that you were going to pay this back, you should have to You yeah. should have to pay it back. But I think that the part you're ignoring is that if we had a free market, then education would not look like it does today. What, oh, no, what, it, it wouldn't. It'd be so much more different. It would be different. There'd, There'd be, be so many more different. options. The, uh, the, uh, the whole entire college situation would be completely transformed because the, yeah. they wouldn't have this. Essentially, a lot of colleges are government-run. I mean, they're, they're state colleges. Mm. And yeah, so they're a very, it's a very exclusive system. Almost all of the colleges, even if they aren't completely government-run, are taking government money, so they're subject to all kinds of governmental regulations. Yeah. And so you would see various different uh, educational options out there. You'd see the marketplace open up for education. Well, and so you'd likely see education costs drop and become far more competitive. I think, I think part of the problem, too, is that in today's uh, system – there's not as much incentive for the for you know the institutions the the colleges to actually turn a profit and to actually attract people based on on the fact that you know people want those skills or the knowledge that they can gain from attending those universities they're to some extent subsidized they're state run so they they have that support there 
I think in a free market system of education, you'd see less emphasis on this the liberal arts side of the spectrum and more of a focus on skills, t- skills, <laughs> technical, technical yeah, like degrees, real things. right? Things you, that you're actually going to use in the real world. So, Roy, did you go to school? Did you go to college? Uh, yeah. And what'd you go for? I was originally in aerospace engineering and then transferred to business administration because I wanted to start my own company. It was going to be an aircraft company. Mm-hmm. And I found out the best way to go there was uh, I already had a lot of engineering knowledge self-taught, so I figured I need to get the business end of this so I know how to start the company, finance, and all that fun stuff. Mm-hmm. So I went with that. How did it work out? But, of course, I was never really consulted with the destruction of the economy, so, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so it hasn't but really worked still, out for you? Not yet. I'm working at a computer company, and there's absolutely no way I could pay off these loans because I owe a little over two hundred thousand dollars. Whoa! God. Oh man, what what are the payments like on that? That'd be around sixteen hundred bucks a month, which is non-existent on my current salary. I mean, it just doesn't work. (laughs) So you're not making the payments, or you're making? How are you handling that? We're basically we've been trying to talk with lawyers to try and get some of this stuff settled and things like that. I guess we're part of like a prepaid legal sort of thing, so it's not a major thing like lawyer costs, but um, but even then, it's like they can't do anything because bankruptcy doesn't exist thanks to Bush for these kind of things. And um, and wow. basically, I'm working at a computer company right now. It's a nice place, small company, but it's just not enough to pay for these loans. So Could you have gotten much- the computer company job in the absence of a college education? Oh, easily. I knew yeah. more. I, everything I knew in computers was self-taught. Like, it has absolutely nothing to do with my college degree. Roy, thanks for the story tonight. I'm sorry to hear about that. and I A lot of people are in that boat. Yep, they are. They are. Thank you for the call. 800-259-9231. You're still welcome to share your story. Did it work for you, college? 800-259-9231. And the other thing he brought up was that he changed his degree as he was going through it. That's something that a lot of college uh, students do. They're just not even sure what they want to do. More coming up. Hour 3 is on the way. Free Talk Live. Have you been thinking about starting a website? I'm going to tell you about a great offer from HostGator. HostGator is a worldwide leader for web hosting, and they make it easy to get your own .com domain name. You create your very own website with their free site builder tools and templates. Use the coupon code FTL, that's FTL is in Free Talk Live, and sign up at HostGator.com to receive your first month completely free. Whether you want a personal blog or a complete e-commerce business website, let the experts at HostGator.com host you. Launching into the third hour of the program, you can take control of the airwaves and bring up whatever's on your mind at 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. 1-800-259-9231. Tonight, it's Ian with you. And Nick. And you can join us online at freetalklive.com. Give you all the features on the site free, so enjoy those on us. Again, that's freetalklive.com. So we continue taking your phone calls about whatever you want. Gene is on the line in Tennessee on the Amp Line. Hey, Gene. Hi, Merry Christmas. Howdy there. What's on your mind? Well, I wanted to talk about Christmas because I like Christmas. Okay. It uh, brings brings back fond memories of when you're young and you're sitting around the tree and everybody's opening things up. And uh, it's just a warm and fuzzy holiday, and I wanted to uh, encourage others. To call in and say Merry Christmas, those who are inclined to. If you want, if you're Jewish, you can call in and say Happy Hanukkah, whatever, uh, whatever you want. But uh, I just wanted to say that uh, something special about Christmas, where everybody is uh, 
going around and just wishing each other Merry Christmas. Uh, I make it a point when I go to a uh, business or something or I meet somebody, I always say Merry Christmas to them at this time of year, and usually they smile and say Merry Christmas back, and it's just uh, a warm and fuzzy way to, uh, you know, to uh, let your fellow man know that somebody cares about them. But now, that's that's true, Gene, and I agree with you there, but isn't it a shame that uh, that doesn't happen all year long? It is, but I guess if it happened all year long, we'd take it for granted, wouldn't we? Eh, <laughs> maybe you're right about that. I, yeah, I, I think so. I'm somebody who likes to show appreciation on a on a daily basis if uh, if I can. I uh, do you find Gene that it's Christmas isn't quite as special as you get older? Like it seems like it's more it 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 seems like it's more special for children and you know people in that age range of say zero to fourteen or something like that. Uh, yeah, it's definitely uh, a kid's holiday, and I think that's what old people like about it is because you see the smiles on the children's faces, mm-hmm. and you know they they get all excited about the presents and uh, Santa coming and running down the, the Christmas, uh, running over their roof with their reindeer, uh, even though that has nothing to do with Christ. Like I mentioned last week, Santa the Santa story has nothing to do with Christianity, but uh, it's. It's just a fun time when everybody can uh, can share the joy, basically. So, Gene, do you have kids? Yes. Okay. We How have many? a 15-year-old. Oh, okay. So now 15, he's, probably a. Go ahead. He's driving now, so yeah. that's uh, that's a, that's kind of a, a white knuckle scenario there. I, I bet. Is is he too uh, yeah. is he too cool for Christmas at 15? No, he still loves Christmas. No, that's good. And uh, when we put up the decorations and stuff, he got all into it. So. He's at that age where um, they're still young enough to enjoy Christmas, but they're starting to get where, you know, they got other things to do, too. So. Very good, Gene. Anything else you want to talk about tonight? Well, I, d- I did get to see Avatar the other day. Oh, yeah. The day well, after you guys did. Did and, you see uh, it in 3D? Yes. Oh, cool. Did. What did you think? Oh, I thought that was an excellent movie. I think it was the best movie of the decade, just like they said. I. Uh, certainly did enjoy all of the uh, special effects, and the, the storyline was pretty good. And, yeah, uh, I'm probably going to be going back to see uh, to see it again. I, I, the first time I saw it was in IMAX, and it was very good. Uh, the second time I'm going to see it in just regular digital 3D in a regular theater to uh, to see what that's like. So where, where did yeah, you see it? we didn't get to go to the IMAX one. We were just in a regular 3D theater. Okay, great. Well, but, I'm but glad you enjoyed great. it. Yeah. Thanks, and, Gene. Uh, Anything else? No, I, I think that's it. Merry Christmas to everybody, and Happy New Year. Merry Christmas to you, Gene. Thanks Merry for the Christmas call. Appreciate it. 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. Uh, yeah, Avatar, fantastic film. Uh, some people have been poo-pooing it uh, for whatever silly reasons, claiming it was environmental uh, propaganda or whatever. But it, there's nothing wrong with being in favor of the environment. There's nothing wrong with uh, keeping things as they are. And it was really a movie about property rights is what it was. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of uh, just destroying the environment for the fun of it. Yeah. Like, you know, dumping lots of waste into a pristine stream. Just It doesn't fill me with joy. No. I think there are some people who probably who listen to the show who probably have, you know, they, they take a stand against government intervention in the environment and the stand against environmentalism more broadly, the modern environmentalist movement. But that doesn't mean that it's bad to like nature. 
Yeah, absolutely. And this was a, a great film that was really focused on property rights, first and foremost. Uh, just to sum it up, it was about a, a, a tribe that uh, exists on a particular plot of land, and uh, beneath that plot of land was a very valuable mineral that a evil corporation was after, which really resembled the military in many ways. Um, but uh, they were after that, and they were willing to use force in order to get it. So it was about these folks defending their uh, their freedom, defending their property against the encroaching aliens. In this case, the aliens were humans. It was excellent. Highly recommended. Uh, so we continue here and go to Jeremy in Alaska. Jeremy, you're on Free Talk Live. Hello there. Hey, guys. Rockfish is very wonderful here. Rockfish. Rockfish. Yeah, I'm still waiting on you all to come up and join me on my little camp boat. And, well, uh, sounds like a blast. Go fishing uh, sometime. I, you know, I appreciate the uh, the offer, but I'm just not a fishing kind of guy. Nick, are you into the the fishing? Uh, I enjoy fishing, actually. Yeah. I mean, whereabouts are you in in Alaska? I'm in Juneau. Oh, how's the weather? And uh, I'm in the capital city. I I can see the federal building from my house, man. Can you and, fish? Uh, can you fish in Alaska at this time of year? Well, sure. You know, as you have long to cut a hole in the ice or something. Yes, you have to cut holes in the ice. Well, not or in what? the sea. No, it's not that bad, Ian. No. But making up propaganda, you're bad about that, boy. Well, wait. Well, I mean, there's icy cut, lakes here. I mean, yeah, I mean, you do have to ice fish here, Jeremy. I mean, it's the, the lakes are frozen right. here. Do you do you fish in, on a lake or do you fish out in the ocean? Well, you definitely don't want to uh, fish in the harbor where you. Uh, you know, some people use the bathroom and stuff. The harbor, be, meaning the ocean, you mean? Well, the, yeah, the harbor well, around like the, the breakwater. Sea. You know, the harbor where all us boaties live. Uh huh. We're so, like boaties, but anyway, that's not what I. Call so do you to live on a about. you live on a houseboat? Well, no, I, I have no. land in Prince of. Well, yeah, I do. I live yes. in okay. Prince of Wales in a town called Port Protection. Alaska, which is a very beautiful Juno. town, Google Port Protection, or actually use this quick. I prefer that because they Start don't. Startpage.com. That's right. Right. That's exactly. Right. Good choice. You know, we pretty much put the boot to Google, right? So, but uh, anyway, um, you know, um, it's very beautiful here, and I, I bet just it is. wanted to uh, tell all the patriots to. Uh, Go to flatheadbeacon.com. What's that? Well, it's like a local rag in Kalispell, Montana. You know the one that trashes John Stokes and that's the uh, station the owner of the w, that's know, the station owner a, of KGEZ, one of our former yeah, affiliates that was they, taken off the air. And actually, John Stokes is the spokesman for the Montana Civil Reserve now. So you, you're still connected to the, the Montana world, huh? Because you had moved from Montana to Alaska, but you're still kind of keeping in, keeping in touch with uh, back in uh, Kalispell? Well, yes, sir. I got a job in a gold mine up here. And oh, wow. I, I, I'm attempting to uh, buy a piece of property down in uh, Port Protection, Alaska. and but What's it like know, working really in a gold mine? I'm just Jeremy, what you what know, is it like working in a gold mine? Well, I'm actually I actually work in the uh, heavy equipment heavy equipment yard. Uh, <laughs> they don't allow blasting caps in my hands. Oh, I don't <laughs> imagine, don't imagine they do. <laughs> so, what do you do to heavy What do you do to the heavy equipment? You repair it, or what do you do? 
Well, yeah, I've changed hydraulic lines and uh, lube the inserts and you know. Sounds and I, exciting. Hey, Ian, Somebody's got to do it. Thing is, uh, yes, sir. I I had to move from Montana to find this job. You know, where my grandmother told me this when I was like uh, five years old. She told me that uh, one day I might have to move from my roots to find a good job. And you sure did. Grandma was right. Thanks for the call. Appreciate it. 800-259-9231. You can bring up anything. I love talking to my grandma. She's so wise uh, compared to my mom. More coming up. You can bring up anything. This is Free Talk Live. This program is brought to you by Freekeen.com. Freekeen.com features audio, video, and blogs chronicling the transition to a voluntary society. Freekeen.com also has comments and discussion forums so you can be heard. Freekeen.com. This is Free Talk Live. You can bring up what you want if you dial in toll-free at 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. Tonight, it's Ian with you. And Nick. You can join us online at freetalklive.com. We've got the Shrine of Female Listeners, which is brought to you by manchesterbrewing.com. You can go and visit the Shrine of Female Listeners. You can become a Shriner if you're a lady listener. You can get all the details on how to do so. Send in your validated photo or video. At shrine.freetalklive.com. That's shrine.freetalklive.com. And Jeremy mentioned startpage.com. You can take the startpage.com seven-day challenge. For seven days, use startpage.com instead of your big brother search engine and experience the difference. You'll get search results aggregated from 12 major search engines. And unlike your old search engine, you'll have complete privacy in your search. Start the seven-day challenge today at startpage.com. As we continue here, we will take your calls about what you want. And let's shift gears and go to the drug war, where there's just corruption that abounds. There's no shortage of stories that we can share with you. But it sure are fun to share, because it really gives you a look into what the real world is like, what real cops can be like. Now, not all of them are bad guys, but a fair amount of them are. And when the good guys are prevented from doing anything about the bad guys, then does it really matter that there are good guys? Radley Balco over at Reason.com, the agitator blog, has this to share. Earlier this year, I posted on a rogue Philadelphia narcotics unit headed up by Officer Jeffrey Kujik that was shaking down immigrant bodegas across the city. Kujik's thugs, cops, would come into stores armed with search warrants for selling otherwise innocuous items like small plastic bags that can be used to package illegal drugs. They would then cut the cords to the store's surveillance cameras and start helping themselves to cash registers and merchandise. Members of the unit have also been accused of sexually assaulting women during the drug raids. Just a real bunch of stand-up guys. Philadelphia's Daily News reporters Wendy Rutterman and Barbara Laker, who've done some amazing reporting on this story, then showed how lax oversight from prosecutors and police commanders and casual dismissal of citizen complaints allowed Kujik to continue to operate well after his shakedown tactics should have had him booted off the force. He'd likely still be shaking down bodegas if it weren't for the reporters, Ruderman and Laker. Which, by the way, those two reporters were then, of course, attacked by Kujik's police union. Now Ruderman and Laker report an incredible new twist involving Kujik's brother Gregory. Now, unlike two of his brothers and his father, Gregory Kujik is not a Philadelphia police officer. In fact, he's a convicted drug dealer. Hmm. The story begins last April. 
It was just after midnight, and this is from the reporters. Brian Westbury and a woman friend sat frozen in his bedroom, hoping the persistent pounding on the front door of his northeast Philly home would stop. It didn't. Westbury, 24, slipped his licensed 38 caliber revolver into his pants pocket and crept downstairs to open the door. There stood Gregory Kujic, 32, who demanded to see Jen, his girlfriend. Westbury told him that Jen didn't want to see him and reportedly ordered Kujic to leave. When Kujic refused, Westbury threatened to call the police. Do it! My family are cops, Kujic said, according to Westbury. Before he could finish dialing 911 on his cell phone, Kujic stepped through the doorway and punched him in the throat. That's when Westbury pulled out his gun and Kujic fled, Westbury told the Daily News. Now, Westbury never fired the gun. In fact, he suffered the only injury when Kujic staggered him with a punch. But rather than arrest Kujic, a convicted drug dealer, authorities slapped Westbury with a slew of criminal charges, including felony aggravated assault. Possession of an instrument of crime. Well, it's only assault if you actually injure somebody unjustly. Well, they charged him with it anyway, right? Uh, terroristic threats, simple assault, and recklessly endangering another person. From there, Westbury's life got even worse. Westbury believes Kujic is behind a November 14th arson of his house. Detectives didn't question Kujic until after a daily news reporter asked a police captain about the case earlier this month. It gets worse. The detective, they didn't even question him. They went and they charged Westbury with all kinds of things and didn't even question the other man who was involved in this conflict. The man who was the aggressor in the conflict. It gets worse. The detective who arrested Westbury is the wife of Jeffrey Kujic's former, uh, former partner. The two also co-own a dunk tank rental business. Westbury's a gun collector. The police seized all 40 of his guns, all of which were legal and licensed. All charges against Westbury were finally dismissed in October, but Gregory Kujic has yet to be charged for either the assault or the arson. The investigating officer said he never got around to questioning Kujic about the arson due to a backlog of other cases you know just you're so busy sorry of course that didn't seem to stop the department from going after westbury the investigating officer also indicated he thinks westbury who has no prior criminal record may have intentionally set fire to his own home in order to frame kujic <laughs> i don't know too many people who would go to that length to try to frame somebody else yeah Seems that's like crazy there's other things you could try to frame him for Incidentally, since the Daily News first broke the story about Jeffrey Kujic's thuggish narcotics unit in March, none of the officers in the unit has been charged with a crime. These are the same guys who go into these bodegas, cut cables to cameras, and start just stealing crap. Yes, they should be caged somewhere, most likely. Sexually assaulting women. Yeah. No charges. A few have been taken off the street and have lost their police powers, and now there's a federal investigation underway, but... All of the officers from the unit are still collecting paychecks. Hmm. And that's just how it works. They Unfortunately, can do that, it does seem to be the way it works. I, I think to some extent, these. I don't want to say that you don't get these problems in smaller towns. Certainly, there are small towns where the police corruption is probably worse than a lot of Absolutely. But I think when you have a large police force like this, there's so many you know, police to draw from on, what is this, Philadelphia, if I remember right? Correct. Uh, Phil- yeah, Philly. Okay. I mean, you've probably got hundreds of officers on the police force anyway. Mm-hmm. And so it's not very difficult for the crooked ones to get together and form 
a rather extensive network. I mean, if you have 20, even if only 20 of the officers on the entire Philadelphia police force are corrupt, you can do a lot of damage with 20 corrupt cops who are playing for the same team. Absolutely, especially if they are creating a climate of fear uh, within the department to where the good cops well, are afraid to do anything against the bad guys. Right. And I mean, as far as intimidating people who are not on the force, they've got arrest powers. They can get search warrants. They can trump up charges against you. And yeah, they probably won't stick if they trump, you know, unless they do a very good job of framing you for something. Doesn't but, mean it won't ruin your life. Yeah, or yeah, or cause you, you know, a lot of inconvenience. Even if the charges are eventually dropped, there's a very good chance you still had to get a lawyer. In this case, Westbury's uh, firearms were still confiscated. So his life was disrupted. And that's enough to intimidate people into keeping quiet a lot of the time. And I don't believe that, in a, like you were saying, there are probably hundreds of officers involved in Philadelphia as far as how many people they have employed. Uh, having spoken at one point in my life to a former detective uh, from the NYPD who told me that it was his opinion that everyone was corrupt on the police department there, depends I believe de- it's far more right. than 20 people. I, I'm sure it probably is. It depends on how you define corruption. I've met police officers that... From what I can tell, I figure they probably at least try to play by the rules. There are different levels, right? right. I mean, mean, you might not be killing people or robbing stores. But breaking some rules, pocketing a little cash, taking some drugs. I have a feeling that's pretty widespread. Toll-free number 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. Share your thoughts on this or anything you want to talk about. This is Free Talk Live. Take control of the airwaves toll-free at 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line tonight. It's Ian with you. And Nick. And you can join us online at freetalklive.com. That's our free website, and you'll find that there are more features on freetalklive.com for free than you pay for on those other talk show host websites. And the fact that we can keep our website free is because of our great sponsors like Manchester Brewing, where their John Thomas Red really melts in your mouth. ManchesterBrewing.com. 800-259-9231. As we continue here, we were telling you a moment ago about a story out of Philadelphia where, as in so many cities and even small towns across the country, the police are just corrupt beyond repair. What do you do about this? I mean, the story was about a group of uh, rogue cops the one of their drug or drug interdiction task forces or narcotics units that was literally going into storefronts in Philly and just robbing them blind, just taking, cutting the the camera feeds to the the security cameras and just stealing stuff. Even allegations that they were uh, molesting the women that were in the store in many cases. And so, what do you do about that? Hmm? Because clearly the officers in the department aren't willing to do anything. All of those cops that we were talking about are still getting paid. Now, they may not all be on the street pending investigations, etc., etc., but they're still getting paid, and the investigations haven't really turned up anything. Even though there's plenty of witnesses out there who've said that these people have done things, there's video of them cutting the uh, the cables to the video cameras. (laughs) I mean, these are bad guys. And they're so entrenched. Well, I mean, the problem is you can't. It's not like you can really turn to the legal system. You know, the, like you said, the the police on the force are clearly not willing to do anything about it. 
Otherwise, these guys would be charged with some kind of a crime already. Well, one of their buddies uh, or one of the brothers of the cops is a convicted drug dealer. Not that that's necessarily a bad thing, but he's one of the bad guy kind of drug dealers, the ones that aren't afraid to hurt people and that kind of thing. He torched somebody's house. So if you're a good cop and you get wind that this kind of stuff is going on within your department and you know that these people are willing to molest, uh, you know, to assault women sexually and to torch somebody's house to the ground, then do you really want to step in and be the hero? Do you really want to be the one to try to bring these guys to justice when your family could be targeted? I would think not. Nope. Apparently so, nobody has. Nobody's no. thought it was worthwhile. And who knows how high up the corruption goes. We've heard from so many officers or former police officers on this program who've told us things like, well, the corruption rises through the ranks. It's more likely that you'll find more corrupt people the higher up you go in these departments' ranks. So who knows who their friends are? You know, Beyond the fact that the good guys are going to be afraid to do anything about them, who knows who's protecting them at the upper echelons? Who is, who is it that's taking the reports about their activity? Because people had complained. They right. went to the, gov- the, uh, the police department and they filed complaints and... Well, nothing was ever done about that. Who's taking those complaints and putting them in the circular file? Who's making the decisions to protect people like this? You never know. You'll never know, and there's nothing that you can do about it. Oh, well, we can form a police uh, oversight board. We can bring some citizens in and uh, form a police oversight board. That's never done anything either. Because the corruption is just systemic throughout the the government uh, police world. So... The question becomes, what can someone like us, what can somebody like you, who is hopefully legitimately concerned about this problem, actually do to help solve it? Think you can solve it by electing some new politicians? To some extent, I mean, we wouldn't be hearing about this story if it wasn't for the efforts of reporters. That's true. And if there wasn't some videotape of them up until the point where they cut the cables to the surveillance cameras. So I think one thing you can do as far as combating police corruption or police brutality is to document it and videotape with sound is really the best way i mean you can observe it all you want but when it's your word versus a police officer's whether you have to go to trial about it or not people people will tend to believe the police officers right if you have them on videotape doing something immoral or illegal well, then there's not too much they can do about that when you upload it to YouTube. Okay, that's a good suggestion. So more uh, more individuals armed with video cameras could and, help. And uh, and to some extent, I think when you do show some kind of a blatant example of police corruption or police brutality, when it gets highly publicized, I think that there is enough pressure there. where That particular officer might get fired, not because... Other officers on the force necessarily want to see them get fired, but because there's enough pressure there where you have a cop, say, beating somebody for no reason or something yeah. like that, it's not a guarantee, even if you have what appears to be bulletproof vi- you know, video evidence of them doing something illegal, but you have a much better chance of actually seeing something done about it if the public can see that, oh, yep, there's no doubt they actually right. did that. And so then it's not there's no debate over the facts of the case. There, that's true. There have been the occasional firings because the evidence has just been too great. But or, there are so many Bart, stories. That, where they, that Bart officer who executed the guy, he is on trial for murder in that okay. case. So, you know, if if you have video of a cop blatantly killing an unarmed person who's on their knees, 
odds are there's going to be enough political pressure to get that person brought up on charges. Unfortunately, though, that's what it takes. It takes a really solid uh, proof and and public outrage. Right. And so generally it needs to be something that's fairly brutal, fairly shocking, because a police officer skimming a little bit of money off the top Mm -hmm. or intimidating somebody or even playing rougher than they have to with somebody that might get them a written warning. But in most yeah. cases, something like that, even if you've got videotape of it, probably not going to get them fired. And so there are a lot of things that the cops can do that will will be pretty much off the radar. I mean, what if you've got a cop that's, I mean, for instance, these cops in this case in Philly were accused of uh, sexually assaulting women. What if you've got one of those cases where you've got a cop who is pulling women over and is demanding sexual attention from them in order to, uh, you know, to not write them a ticket, that kind of thing. I, what are the odds that most women are going to have, uh, or any women, many, many women at all, are going to have a video or audio recording device that will be able to catch that? It's very, very slim. So well, I think that a lot have, of people have cell phones now, and a yeah. lot, you know, a lot of people, if you carry a smartphone, a lot of the, the recordings you can get off of those are pretty good. And even, but you really I mean, have to be an activist. I mean, you have to well, be ready for that. You have to know where to go to get the recording. I mean, if you, if you, I've got a smartphone. I've got a BlackBerry, and I can set up the buttons on the sides of the phone. I can set them to a specific function. So if I want to go to Quick.com and pull up video and record, I can hit one of my buttons. Once I put in the password, of course, I can hit a button and it it comes up instantly. Well, you but I'm get- ready for that because I'm an activist. You know. Yeah. I mean, I've got, I'm all set. But most people aren't really, I mean, if their phone does do vi- uh, audio recording, maybe they don't even know that it does. Um, most phones will do audio recording, so that's always an option. If you don't want to blatantly tape the police officer, yeah. you always have the option. Or turning, if it's a video recording with sound, you always have the option of turning that on and sort of setting the phone off to the side where they wouldn't necessarily know it was on. Absolutely. That way you can at least, you know, if things are said, you can at least get a recording of what was said. Hopefully it'll be high enough quality that you can hear. You never know, but it's generally worth a shot. Here's another idea. How about, uh, and I don't know how well it would work in a place like Philadelphia. Maybe it would. Uh, but having a, a, a police roster, an online website. Now, I know there's Rate My Cop. There, there is that website, but that's kind of has a cop-friendly feel to it. Uh, how about a website where people can just post their experiences with uh, the police in a given police department, and people can go there to at the very least learn who the bad cops are, and that way if they encounter one of the bad guys, they'll know more to uh, to be ready for somebody like that. That's uh, I think that's a pretty good idea. I mean, as far as trying to address the underlying issues of corruption, those are sweeping changes you would need to get made. I mean, either you go to a free market police force, which I have my doubts about, or, you know, doing away with the war on drugs, that that would probably go a long way towards getting rid of some of the vice crimes. Unfortunately, that's something that is very difficult to do, and you have to go through the political process, and there hasn't been a lot of progress there yet. Toll free numbers 800-259-9231. What can be done? If you've got any ideas to add to this discussion, you're certainly welcome to. Or bring up whatever you want, even in these remaining moments. Enough time for your call at 800-259-9231. This is Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk 
live, and you are invited to take control of the airwaves. Even in these remaining moments, there's enough time for your call. You can make it right now, 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line, 1-800-259-9231. And you are free to bring up whatever's on your mind. Tonight, it's Ian with you. And Nick. Join us online at freetalklive.com. You like the show? You want to help support Free Talk Live? Become an, uh, become an amplifier at amp.freetalklive.com for three bucks a month. We'll reinvest that into the show. Or you can shop with us at amazon.freetalklive.com, or you can do both, uh, amazon.freetalklive.com. People have been doing a lot of shopping this last month over at Amazon because it is the holiday season, so a uh, great time to get some stuff. Of course, uh, there's not much more time to get it delivered to you at this point. You might have to do some overnighting action. Uh, if you want to get it actually delivered. But you can go to Amazon.FreeTalkLive.com any old time, day or night, and don't have to deal with the parking. You don't have to deal with department stores. You don't have to deal with the crowds. You can just get it done. Amazon.FreeTalkLive.com. And, of course, after the holiday season is up, you might have a little bit of extra cash you're looking to spend. Well, go to Amazon.FreeTalkLive.com and get the stuff you're looking for. Stuff you want, stuff you need, it's all there, most likely. Dozens of categories, even used items. Amazon.FreeTalkLive.com. So we've been focusing on the corruption uh, that is part and parcel of the war on drugs. That inevitably, whenever you have prohibition, as we saw with alcohol prohibition in the early part of the 20th century, or prohibition on guns, prohibition in this case of drugs, you are going to have corruption, especially amongst those who are involved in the enforcement of those laws. It's just the opportunity to be corrupt is so great. It's so easy for them to to involve themselves in in naughty behavior because they're relatively protected by their buddies on the squad and the uh, the opportunities to take things like drugs and money and stuff like that is relatively uh, easy. I mean, you pull somebody over and they've got 20 pounds of uh, pot or cocaine or something like that in the, the back of their car. Yeah, you know, you could just take some of it. You don't have to report it all. Yeah. Take the cash if yeah, they've got cash. I, it's got to be tempting. I bet it does. And so they do that stuff a lot. But how do you avoid being uh, targeted by these corrupt cops? How do you avoid being caught up uh, in their corrupt behavior? Well, some people might think that they could join them. You know, if you can't beat them, join them. Like, join the police, either become a cop or become an informant. And we've got a story from the Seattle Times at uh, nwssource.com, or nwsource.com, Northwest Source, about a, such an informant, Ernesto Gamboa. You know, he's a Salvadoran who spent 13 years as a confidential informant for local law enforcement. And the prospects of gaining legal status for Gamboa, unfortunately, have, growing, uh, have grown increasingly dim. The U.S. Attorney's Office, one of the last vestiges of hope for the 41-year-old, told him in a letter last week that it lacked the resources and manpower to sponsor him for a visa. And unable to find work in this economy, Gamboa, who entered the United States in 1992 and overstayed a visitor's visa, says he may decide early next year to give up and return home. See, under the supervision of the U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement, Gamboa began working as an informant with local law enforcement agencies in the mid-1990s. See, he kind of got the message from the state that if he would work with them, they'd make it easy for him to come live here. So he became an informant for them. And what's happened is they've just decided to kick him to the curb. Not surprising. I mean, they're going to use you for, you know, as long as you're useful to them. 
And once you're no longer useful to them, well, then don't expect them to have any kind of high ethical standards as far as looking out for you or taking care of you the way they Absolutely. should. Absolutely. As as the veterans of the uh, the military have found out, promises are one thing, and the way reality actually works is something completely different. In this case, uh, he started in the mid-90s. His work on major national and international drug investigations helped to win more than 90 federal convictions, led to the seizure of money, weapons, vehicles, and drugs, including more than 200, uh, 282 pounds of cocaine. He parted ways with ICE near the end of a major drug investigation in May when he said he was threatened with deportation after telling an agent that he was broke and wanted to take a regular paying job on top of his informant work. ICE soon arrested and detained Gamboa and moved ahead with plans to deport him. But under mounting pressure from other agencies, it released him after six weeks. Now Gamboa's status is not unlike that of millions of so-called illegal immigrants nationwide, unable to find legitimate work or to travel and with no obviously viable way to make it right. He says, I'm out, and everybody's turned their backs. It's really frustrating that after all these years, they close the door and say, forget about him. Gamboa had won support of retired law enforcement officials who'd worked with him over the years, as well as that of a U.S. senator who said the government owes him legal status, given his years of service to the country. Now, this senator, Maria Cantwell from Washington, wrote the Washington State Patrol, which had handed Gamboa handled Gamboa, rather, as an informant, and the U.S. Attorney's Office, which prosecuted some of the cases on which he worked, asking them to sponsor him for the so-called S-Visa, which is a hard-to-get status reserved for immigrants who cooperate with law enforcement. Mm, Maybe the S stands for snitch. Well, yeah, I mean, (laughs) that that sounds like basically what it is. Over the months, there's been a lot of finger-pointing among agencies that worked with Gamboa as to which should help him obtain the legal status. The State Patrol said... It couldn't support the request, being a state agency rather than a federal agency, and later notified Gamboa by mail that it was terminating his status as a confidential informant. Under federal <laughs> law, yeah. That's not a good place to be. Under federal law, any law enforcement agency can initiate the S visa process, but they were just basically saying, yeah, we don't want to do that. We're not uh, federal, so we're not going to do that. And last week, the U.S. Attorney's Office offered a more detailed explanation of its earlier refusal to sponsor Gamboa, saying its core mission is to prosecute violations of federal criminal laws, and it lacks the personnel and resources for the kind of monitoring that uh, would be required. So, they're the U.S. Attorney's Office. I mean, this has to be a very well-funded federal agency. Yes, the U.S. attorneys. Yes, if they don't want to do something, it's not because they lack the resources, it's because they don't want to. Right, but that was their claim. Well, we don't have uh, enough personnel here, even though government agencies are known for increasing their size of their bureaucracies and the amount of people that they uh, that they have working for them year after year, even though government agencies are known for the amount of money that uh, is constantly on the increase. We don't have the personnel and the resources. Uh, sorry, pal, try somewhere else. Jorge Barón, executive director of the Northwest Immigrant Rights Project, who represented Gamboa after he was detained, said Gamboa would not require the kind of monitoring to which the U.S. attorney is referring because his cooperation with law enforcement was in the past and is not ongoing. Still, Barón is not giving up, he said, and is having some conversations that still may bear fruit. Gamboa said ICE has never paid him, as promised, for the work he did on major drug investigations that the agency wrapped up in July that led to 31 arrests and the seizure of weapons, vehicles, and more than 19 pounds of methamphetamine. Gamboa said, I worked 13 months without pay. But unable to find work, he said he may have little choice but to return to El Salvador, 
I guess that's what they wanted all along, he said, meaning ICE. They figured if I can't work and I can't make money, then I'll just leave. So there yeah. you have it. I, th- I, I, I think that's pretty much it. I mean, what incentive do they have to help somebody from El Salvador relocate to the United States? You would think that they would appreciate having informants enough to actually take care of them. You'd think. But I guess, you know, I guess drug informants usually don't read reviews about <laughs> different police agencies and how they take care of their confidential informants. This is 15 years this guy worked for various different agencies. I mean, it seems like bad press, doesn't it? I mean, it seems like they just say, okay, here's your visa. Thank you. But who I mean, cares? I, I mean, it seems like they would do that if they wanted other people to actually be informants, too. That's a good point. Uh, but, you know, they get the bad press all the time with the way they treat military veterans. I mean, they make promises to them and they break them uh, constantly and they, it gets bad press. But and uh, you know, the military veterans get very, very upset and they'll lobby and try to get things changed. But they still get treated like trash. So, you know, they just kind of use you up like tissue paper. But really what I want to ask is what makes you any different from Gamboa? I mean, you're not an informant for them, necessarily, so you certainly haven't done as much for the state as Gamboa has. But what makes you any different? You think they're going to treat you better because you were born here? You think Gamboa's just getting the shaft because he's from Ecuador? Well, from what I can tell, the government thinks of all of us. The government people think of all of us as just resources to be used Resources, up. yeah. I mean, you, you're somebody to be taxed. And- That's right. You know, you can serve in the military, you can snitch on your neighbors. I mean, from the perspective of, you know, politica, politicians, people in search of power, that's really all other human beings are. It's the means to an end. Yeah. The means to the expansion and the established, the further establishment of power of the state. That's pa- all well, we pa- are Well, power, I mean, it's of the state, I think for a lot of people like these police officers, this department, they have their own personal goals. They, they want to make that drug bust that's going to look good for them. Mm-hmm. They want a bigger budget next year. That's how it works. So there you go. It's been Ian here with you. And Nick. So don't think of yourself as any different from that guy, even though he worked his tail off for uh, you know a decade and a half for the state. They still kicked him to the curb. What are they going to do to you? We'll see you tomorrow night online in the meantime at freetalklive.com. Become a Free Talk Live amplifier for just $3 per month. You'll get perks, and you'll help us free more minds worldwide. Visit amp.freetalklive.com.